Hi, this is Gray Scott, and you're listening to Light Source. Welcome to episode 36 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, the website that introduces photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockphoto.com. Now, on today's episode, we have a very talented photographer with us. Uh, his name is Gray Scott, and he is at grayscott.com, G-R-A-Y-S-C-O-T-T.com. And if you did not get that link, you can always get it at studiolighting.net. Uh, Gray Scott is a fashion photographer. He has some amazing work. Some of his stuff that I've seen, I've seen in magazines before we actually got to do some research on him from the show. I believe that is he one of the other photographers that that was in our list of uh, photographers that inspire you. Yeah, yeah, Gray is in the list, and we're we're kind of doing a tribute to Fashion Week with these next couple of interviews. <laughs> and actually, we did catch a bunch of these guys uh, just after finishing up with uh, Fashion Week in New York City. So they were uh, one of the photographers that'll be on our next show. He was actually finishing up editing some images um, from Fashion Week, so it was all fresh in their minds. It's good stuff. Yeah, I, I would like to just say though, since we're going through that list of photographers that inspire you, I'm really disappointed that I didn't show up in anyone's list on there. I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Well, I'll get over it, I guess. I was going to post that just to make you feel, you know, so your uh, ego is intact. But I didn't get a <laughs> chance to do that yet. Uh, well, well, I appreciate the thought though. <laughs> Uh, before we get into stuff, I found something really cool in, and I gotta say, Digital Photo Pro is probably my new favorite magazine. Really? Um, yeah, I, I just love, I find the coolest stuff in there. It, sometimes it's not even like, um, like in their products review section. It's not even really products review, it's like the press release section. They have some products that they, they don't look like they're the brand newest type thing. Is that a word? Brand newest? Yeah, that the works. newest. They're You're not allowed to new. say that on podcasts. This is true. You can make stuff up and no one right. questions you. Right. Um, they're not always the newest things that are on the block or cutting edge, but they have uh, some unique things in there that I think are pretty cool. And there's one that I found. It's called the Tether Grip. Now, we'll put a link to this in the show notes on studiolighting.net. But essentially what this thing is, it plugs into, well, I shouldn't say plugs into, it connects to, like, your camera strap holder. And it has, like, a, a friendly alligator grip. I don't want to say an alligator grip because that's going to kind of insinuate that it's chewing up your cables or anything. But it's kind of like this little, uh, a little tether that clamps onto your cables that are going into your camera, like your, um, like if you're shooting tethered with USB. I'm picturing it if you're um, have your PC socket connections going into your the side of your camera. And I don't know about you, but I'm constantly, for some reason or another, knocking them out of the out of the camera. Yeah, this tether grip thing is looks like a really cool little invention. I was even thinking it might work well for like sync cords. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I, there's a couple places here that it's listed. Um, they they have a few places that you can buy them. I think there's four listed on the website. I have no idea how much this thing costs. It looks like a really nice little. From the pictures I've seen, it looks like a machined aluminum sort of thing. But I mean, it could be injection molded plastic. I'm not sure. But we're gonna have to find out more about it because I think it's a pretty cool little thing. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was neat. Neat. We'll we'll definitely include a link to that in, in the like show notes. And if any of you guys have uh, have had any experience with this thing or, or seen it in use or know anyone that has one, I'd like a personal email on it. 
But yeah, I mean, you could <laughs> you could always drop it by in the in the Flickr discussion group as well. That is cool. You always find the coolest little gadgets, man. Well, I am a gadget freak, so. You know. <laughs> well, I I uh, I guess along the lines of interesting little discoveries, I ran across another online image editor. I know it's kind of cheesy we keep mentioning these, but this one kind of stood out to me. It was called Picnic, P-I-C-N-I-K dot com, and they have some things that I haven't seen on online editors so far, and I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, of course, like any of the other ones, you could upload or link to an image from anywhere on the internet, but once it's in there, you can do some pretty neat things with like modifying the colors and some other standard stuff like cropping and removing red eye. But it's pretty advanced in terms of some of its features. Like it has a, a creative tools section where you can do like sepia toning and some vignetting and, and like soft effects. And it also supports multiple undos, which I thought was pretty neat. That is pretty cool in an online, uh, online setup. And actually, I was reading an article about Vista recently, and they were talking about how a lot of these, like the Google apps and things like that, are moving more towards... Um, that being like the future of software where everything will be on a server and you just use a connection and a thin thin client such as like a browser to access all of your software. That's cool. And I heard Larry Ellison talking about this like, I don't know, 10 years ago on some TV show, and I thought he was crazy. <laughs> but much like most of those guys in Silicon Valley, I'm, I'm starting to realize how visionary those guys really were. Right. Were? Are? <laughs> Actually, while we're talking about Picnic, and normally I, every time you say, "Oh, I have found an online image editor," I'm like, "Oh boy, here we go," because I'm I'm a Photoshop diehard guy. Right. I'm kind of liking this. This thing's pretty cool. I found a cool little Easter egg though. Do you do you have it open on your screen? Yes. Click on the logo, up in the upper left hand corner for Picnic. Okay. Ooh, full screen. <laughs> That's pretty neat. I wanted to hear your reaction when, when you hit it because that's kind of what I did. I was like, whoa, what happened to my application? It was like that kicked is it cool. right into full screen mode, lost all evidence that you're in a browser. That is neat. That's pretty slick. But yeah, it, it's, it's got a cool little, uh, nice little Easter eggs. And you were saying what, you can save it direct to your hard drive or up to Flickr? Or... Yes, on the save and share tab, you can you can save the photo or email it, create a Flickr slideshow. But, um, you know, I think you can even publish it to a blog or email it to a website or print it. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that is really, especially if you're going to be on the road somewhere and you don't have access to, uh, you know, all of your photo tools and things like that. It might be something cool just to get something out to friends and family or, well, man, maybe even a, a blog or whatever. So, I mean, that's... Yeah, no doubt. I, I'm softening with these online tools. I'm I'm kind of getting there. Well, before we get into too much, there is big news, and I don't expect you to announce this one, so I'll mention it. Uh, Canon has announced that they're going to be doing a 1D Mark III. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're getting up into the big numbers now. And uh, this one is going <laughs> to... This, this one's actually going to replace the uh, the Mark IIn, which was their high-speed camera. Um, this one is a 10 megapixel, 10 frames per second it's still a crop factor sensor, but it's a 1.3x field of view in it, so it's like an APS hyphen H size sensor. Not oh, exactly okay. sure what that means. It sounds pretty pretty cool. Yeah, I think they said the ISO range is expandable up to uh, or down to ISO 50 or up to ISO 6400. Oh, that's neat. 
Yeah, so it's a pretty wide, uh, pretty wide range for uh, digital cameras. I think it's probably one of the wider digital SLRs that's out there in terms of ISO range. It looks like a really nice camera. Yeah, I mean, it's the rugged pro body. It does not have um, built-in flash, much like the 5D or the 1DS Mark II. So, I mean, it is definitely in their pro grade. Is it fast? Yeah, it's 10 frames per second. Hello. Yeah, I think it says it has a maximum burst of 110 JPEG images, or That's 30 awesome. in RAW. That and would be a figure, lot of fun. <laughs> You figure filling up the buffer in three seconds with 30 right. RAW images. I'm, I'm just trying to think what I could even do with that. That would just be like... So cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, we got some great feedback on episode 35, which was our walkthrough with Mark Robert Halper through his uh, past couple of years gallery. That was fun. It was cool. I really loved being on that phone call with him and uh, and actually listening to the show afterwards. Right. And it, it seems like we did get a lot of good feedback on it. There were a number of comments about people uh, commenting about they'd like to either see a video feed or um, an enhanced podcast to, to bring those images right into uh, onto your iPod or things like that. But it, we had talked about a lot of these different formats before, and our commitment is still trying to hit the widest audience possible. Since we have a, a niche topic, we don't want to isolate any of you guys out there. So we are going to be sticking with the MP3 format into, at least until something... Uh, more earth-shattering takes its place. But that's not to say that we won't do anything supplemental in other formats. But we definitely want to... We don't want to isolate any of you guys. So don't yeah. be alarmed. We're going to be stay, sticking with this format. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, you know, Going with the enhanced podcast would certainly be cool for, for some things, but uh, I think we got enough comments on the other side of things about format anyway, saying that you know it might be hard for me to catch the show that way and uh, that kind of thing. My player doesn't support it. So you're right, we're going to stick with MP3. The other thing I thought that was interesting, um, though, was in terms of the format overall, a lot of people said they really liked it, but it seems like the majority of folks said this would be something cool to do once in a while. Or, you know, it wouldn't be like they would want to see this every episode or anything. So that was good. That's exactly the kind of feedback we were looking for. I think people really liked it, and maybe an occasional thing or uh or actually i thought you had a good idea with I how did? to yeah with how to integrate the that type of discussion into any interview yeah i think it would be good though if you know when we're bringing guests on the show so if any of you guys are listening that want to be future guests listen up here um <laughs> trying to get them to bring on at least a couple images to discuss instead of putting them through the through the work of doing a full gallery of things like this you know maybe just picking out a few of these guys yeah Mark did an outstanding job and just want to thank him again for for his generosity and his willingness to do that with us. That was really great. And and all the information that he shared too cuz I, I it was like a I felt like I was going through a virtual workshop for the right. most part. Yeah, that was very cool. So, so um stay tuned. We'll we'll try to integrate some more of that here and there and we really appreciate the feedback. Well, before we get too long-winded, we should start getting into our interview here and with uh, Gray Scott. He has some amazing work, so be sure to check it out as if you have the opportunity while you're listening to the podcast. So go ahead over to studiolighting.net, check out the podcast section and the show notes for today's episode, and follow along with us while we talk with Gray Scott. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we have with us this evening uh, Gray Scott, an artist from New York City, and uh, he has some amazing, amazing fashion work that uh, seen some of his work in Picture Magazine and Surface Magazine, as well as a whole host of other places. And uh, it's really exciting to speak with you this evening because your your processing style and the uh, the lighting and everything that you do is just very intriguing. So I'm anxious to talk with you this evening. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started with photography and um, kind of where we get up to for now? Well, I guess to really get into it, I have to go back to my childhood. Uh, was, I actually started as a painter. My mother put me in art classes when I was really young. Uh, started with sketches, and that moved into oil painting and landscapes, still life, and then eventually portraits of people. And it was really interesting because at like seven or eight years old, I was able to really sketch people exactly how they looked, which was not only shocking to me, but <laughs> shocking to everyone around me. And uh, I was born in the Philippines, uh, military, and uh, moved back here to the States when I was five. And my family's from the South. And you can see that in my work. I mean, that that's apparent, I think, uh, with a lot of stuff that I do. It, there's this sort of Southern Gothic um, feel to it with a modern sort of painterly sort of effect surrounding it. So the, the influence definitely from living in the South is, is shows up in my work a lot. But uh, living uh, in the South, like Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and being from you know small towns, having this talent that was so unlike anyone around me, you know, any of the kids around me. It was a little strange, but um, <laughs> I knew even from a really young age that uh, I wanted to either do music or art, like painting or photography or something in that realm. I also had interest in psychology, but those three things were really what I fluctuated around. And so my mother put me in private art classes and started, you know, entering contests and winning, you know, all the, all these awards for paintings. And, you know, my, like my grandmother's house and my, my mother's house, they, they have like tons of paintings from like when I was a child. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting whenever I go home, I'm like, oh my God, I forgot I painted that when I was like 11. <laughs> Part of just that, that history of, of the traditional artist, you know, learning from scratch. I had a really fantastic you know, 80-year-old woman who was teaching me how to paint. So she really stripped me down to the base. Like, when I first came to see her, she looked at all of my sketches, and, you know, she asked me really straightforward, like, what do you want from this, and, and what are you trying to get across, and what, what do you have to say? You know, because it's not just about sketching. It's, it's actually about trying to say something, which I've carried through to my photography. And I think I really learned how to, to light from her, and I know that sounds strange because it was way before I even knew that I wanted to be a photographer. And the funny thing is, is that throughout my life, I have very few memories of owning cameras or taking pictures. I don't have a lot of, I mean, I have, you know, like the normal family childhood pictures that everyone has, but I don't have a huge collection. I just, I wasn't interested in pictures. I wasn't interested in having that. I was sort of a, min a minimalist at heart uh, to, to a certain degree. So I was like, why do you need pictures when you can have the real experience? You know, it's, right. I, that was my, my, my mindset. Meanwhile, I have a collection of 
paintings that I'm collecting. So I, I didn't make that I didn't make that connection until years and years later. That was just another medium for me to use. It was in a hell of a lot quicker too, I have to tell you, um, than taking three months to paint a picture. But yeah. so I think just the the beginnings of all of this started in such a young at such a young age with that private art teacher who really taught me how to see light. That's the first thing she said to me. She's like, you have to understand and see light and how it's hitting objects because that's really what, as a painter, that's what you have to mimic. You know, that's what you have to understand if it's a piece of velvet or if it's a piece of satin, there's a difference. You have to create that difference. I think it's really difficult for painters to, to, to do that really well if you're doing realism. But I think the beginnings of the, you know, having her teach me and show me light. I, I remember the first thing she said, you know, they always do this. They always put like, you know, an apple or something super simple in front of you and say, okay, sketch this or paint this. And of course you paint it and it's completely wrong. <laughs> and um, then she pointed out to me, she's like, just the most minute fraction of like, I mean, if we were talking digital, it'd be like three pixels wide. Underneath the bottom of the apple, there was like this little hairline of light that I never saw before. And it was just like my mind was so... I just had this expansion of, of sight with her. And because of that, I was able to move forward with painting portraits and uh, so forth and so on. And I did that most of my childhood. I, I continued on with the art my goal and my plan was to actually come to New York when I graduated high school and pursue a career as a painter, which was a very romantic sort of, you know, small town <laughs> ideal. I mean, if I really knew what it took to come to New York and be a painter, I would have stayed, you know, in a small town and never, never came because it's such a, that, that's like the hardest thing to do. So eventually what happened was, you know, I continued on painting. I graduated high school, and I actually ran into um, a makeup artist. And I had never in a million years thought... I mean, at that point, I didn't even know that makeup really was a career path that you could right. choose. I mean, I knew it was out there, but it's not something you really think about. And then suddenly I had this makeup artist that was like, you know, you, you know, you can paint these people on canvas. You can paint faces. You should really do it. And I was so broke at the time. I was like struggling as an artist as it was. And I was like, you know what? I should just do this because it's fast money. It's easy, blah, blah, blah. So I, I you know, sold my car and bought a makeup kit for like $2,000. Wow. And started assisting this guy. And before you know it, I was working six or seven days a week doing makeup. And uh, actually, funny enough, and I'm airing this to the world on your show, so <laughs> it's funny, but um, I actually started doing makeup in uh, topless bars. Oh, man. <laughs> it, was, it was like fast money. It was totally easy. The environment was totally, it, it was perfect for an 18-year-old artist, you know, very little responsibility, lots of fun. So... Um, I, I had I had a great time. I did that for like two or three years. No interest in taking it any further. I really just thought at that time, okay, I'll make money. I'll continue to try to paint or I'll pursue music. And eventually, so I don't know, I'd, something happened and I started to actually get really good at doing makeup. And I thought, I actually really like this. It's, it's you know, has all these benefits. And so I started, uh, I contacted a photographer and, you know, shot a couple of things with them and 
started a makeup portfolio, and before you knew it, I was working for you know Neiman Marcus and Nordstrom and all these department stores, and then before you knew it, I was working for magazines, and then then I had like a makeup career, which was bizarre because you know you wake up uh, three years later and you're like I'm a makeup artist. How did this happen? <laughs> so <laughs> so eventually, uh, once I realized that you know okay, this is actually a career now. I can't just not show up if I, if I don't want to. I'm getting booked on jobs. I have to be serious about this. I stopped painting because I really didn't have any time because I was traveling all over the country doing makeup. So once that happened, I um, had a friend that was working at a modeling agency here in New York, and she I'd been friends with her forever, and she said, you know, at this point I was living in San Francisco, um, uh, had an agency in Los Angeles and went all over the, the country doing that. And she kept saying to me, she's like, you have to come to New York. You, you know, you, you're ready for New York. You need to come to New York. And that was so appealing to me because that's what I always wanted to do. And so I uh, packed up my stuff and drove across the country and landed in New York, took my book around, got an agency, and worked uh, for about, I would say, like six years here in New York. I assisted some really big uh, makeup artists just very briefly. I, I only assisted like five or six times, but it was with a really well-known makeup artist. It's actually the biggest makeup artist in the industry. Being able to watch her sort of do her thing and be with Stephen Meisel and Patrick Demarchelier and like all these huge photographers and be in their presence and see how they operate and see how people treat them. And I don't know, it was interesting. It was sort of like the first, it was the first time that I thought, wow, there's something else, you know what I mean? There's something else beyond makeup that I can have a voice and I can be an artist and it doesn't have to be in this world of makeup. I was never really the makeup artist, if that makes sense. Like I had friends that were makeup artists that were like, oh yeah, this NARS this and Chanel this. And I always hated that. I always hated shopping for makeup because it was just so not me. It was like, such a strange um, and I'm not knocking it because I love makeup I love the art of makeup it's just for me I had no interest in that sort of commercial makeup world for me it was like if I if I did this amazing transformation on someone's face it was like okay that's that's a voice that I was sort of bringing forward for myself but beyond that I had no interest in it really once I decided okay well photography is interesting to me I decided to pick up the camera and, you know, start shooting. That's basically how all of this has come forward. I mean, it's been a really long journey to get to this place where I'm like, this is what this has all been about. I mean, I know, I'm sure people listening have had these experiences too. It's like you look back in your history and you're like, wow, this is what that was all about. Right. So it, all of your experience is building up and building up, and then now I'm sure you're using all that experience to make some amazing images, which uh, if anyone's visiting the website as we talk with you, I'm sure they would agree. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about whether there's anything about knowing so much about makeup that comes through in your photos or how you take the images? Yeah, I think, first of all, if we're talking strictly fashion photography, because it's a different, you know, it's such a specific world and you know, if we're talking American or if we're talking European, I mean, there's it just gets deeper and deeper down into the rabbit, rabbit hole. You know, it's like 
you can, I could sit here and say, okay, well, if you're looking at ready to wear, right? And you say, well, these are, these are clothes that they're beautiful, but they're also wearable. Or if I say, okay, well, there's couture, which is almost completely unwearable, but it's just the statement of, of the dresses and the fashion and the makeup and the hair. You have to know theatrical presentation. You have to know color and balance and all of those things, especially if you're trying to take it to a higher and higher level. I mean, some people probably approach their photography very intuitive, intuitively, just the way I do, but you also have to still have a background to sort of pull from. So I, I do think it's important to know about makeup, especially if you want to take it to the higher levels. I mean, I, I think it's important to start out as a photographer, sort of being very, very honest with yourself and saying, what am I really capable of doing? And test that. You know, you don't have to show some of that stuff to people if it's just a, a project, just to feel your way through to see, especially in the beginning, to see, you know, is this right for me or is this right for me or uh, have I pushed this too far? Am I, am I out of my league or uh, am I not pushing it far enough? I mean, one of the, 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 the conversation I sort of had with myself when this started was, I'm young, I'm talented enough, and I believe that I can take this to the highest level. So I, I eventually want to shoot Italian Vogue. I eventually want to shoot for Dolce & Gabbana and, and Gucci and Miu Miu and that caliber of client. I want to do that because I, like I, I feel like I can handle that. I feel like I have the background and the technique to, to be able to do that. Right. So I had to be very, very honest with myself and say, and, and it's also a lifestyle choice. I mean, you have to really dig your heels into this industry. It's a very tiny industry. As far as, uh, you know, if we're looking at a world market, it's a very tiny industry and you have to be able to handle that as well. So many photographers say, Oh, I want to be a fashion photographer. It's, like jumping through the eye of a needle, <laughs> right. you know, it's so, it's so hard. I mean, and I don't say hard, like it's, oh, it's so hard. I mean, listen, I mean, I could be digging ditches for God's sake. It's not, that's not what I mean. It's hard in more of a introspective way. It's hard to face yourself and be honest and say, you know what? I love women or I love men or I love dresses or uh, you know, I love cars or whatever it is that you're shooting. And to be really honest and say, well, you might love that, but maybe you're not good at it. I mean, we're all sort of having to face ourselves. That's what the, that's the painful journey of being an artist is sort of putting something out there and saying, is this really good? Right. So I definitely think it's really important for photographers to understand makeup and to understand hair and to understand lighting, of course. But to also understand, if you're doing fashion, I'm only speaking for fashion right now, mm -hmm. to really understand fashion, which is the art of design and dress, wear. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. there are photographers that I, I know that spend tons of time reading about cameras, and I know photographers that spend tons of time researching old vintage books, or I spend so much time looking at the fashion shows. I go to the fashion shows. I pay attention to the fabrics. I pay attention to the colors of the fabrics, down to the detail. There, you know, it's not just gray. It's not just pink. You know, there's all these variations of color. So 
so it gets very heavy and complicated and deep if you really want to take it there. So I think it's really important to understand that because that just increases your bag of tricks. You know, it's you're able to sort of reach back and say, here's a solution to this this dress, or here's a solution to this scenario. It's it's sort of interesting what you're saying, um, and almost any photographer could co- kind of apply what you're saying in that you really need to study your subject until you know, you know, everything there is to know about it in order to communicate what you want to communicate about it. Absolutely. Could we talk a little bit about your your style? We were talking a little bit before the show, Ed and I. Um, we feel that you definitely have a, a very distinct style, and it's something that makes your work stand out. Could you describe your style for us a little bit and and tell me if you agree with that? Well, I have to sort of have a, I have to say this before we get into that question. Uh, it, the thing that sort of is different with my situation than other photographers is that I I was in this industry for ten years as a makeup artist before I started shooting. So because of that, I you know I was living in New York. I had access to the people. I had friends that were at magazines. I had all of the the connections to sort of come out of of this. You know, I hit the ground running, so to speak. Right. And because of that, everything that I've done. I mean, really, I I did like I did one test with a, a, a model friend of mine. That's how I got started. I did one test with this girl that I was doing makeup with. I said, you know. Hey, listen, I, I bought some equipment. Do you mind, you know, coming over to my apartment? You know, I'm shooting in my living room. <laughs> you know, let's let's do some pictures. I, I got a stylist. I did the hair and makeup. You know, it was all very hush hush because I wasn't I wasn't completely sure that I wanted to do this or if I was any good. I shot I shot these pictures, and I felt what I felt when I was a kid again. I felt shocked that it was so well executed and it was so right for me right and i thought wow this is what i want to do i I really am convinced at this point so from that point i did like maybe three or four months of testing because the agency saw this first set of pictures and then before you knew it like every all the agencies were sending me people uh sending me girls to test but it was like three months after i started testing that i got a beauty campaign and then i got you know uh, catalog client, and then I got you know a small advertising job, and then so six months into it, I had a list, I had a roster of clients. So everything that I've sort of done, really, that everyone's seen, is my learning palette. I mean, <laughs> that's cool. Which is kind of, it's kind of strange because I look at my work and I'm like, I've I've had because I've been just out there, you know, I've been in the market, I've been seen, you know, this wasn't a portfolio that wasn't seen, everything that people are seeing are, are things that I was shooting, so it's like, I haven't really had a chance to skate off to the side and sort of do my own thing and figure out my direction or my style, I sort of had to find my way as I was working uh, editorially, so I look at some of the earlier stuff that I was doing and I think, I see what I was trying to do, and, and it's technically technically good, and I do like it, and I like the creative the, the creative voice that was there. But then I would go and I would do something that was like a little bit different, and then you know I was just trying to. I think the first year I was really just trying to find where it was. I knew I knew what my parameter was. I had that set, but what I was trying to find is like really what was just me. I mean. 
you know, you look at Glenn Lutchford's work, right? Mm-hmm. His photography is abs- absolutely amazing. He has a very cinema- cinematic style to his work. He's one of the, the top photographers in New York, in the world, really. Uh, gets a lot of campaign work. He has a very specific style. But I remember uh, when, I, when I first moved to New York, I, I was a fan of his work. And he was shooting campaigns, and he was doing really well. And then there was a, there was a period where I didn't, I didn't really see uh, anything from him for a while. And then all of a sudden he came back, and his style was not completely different, but he definitely had re evaluated and reformed what he was doing and that's sort of what i'm trying to do like every day i'm i'm sort of taking what is mine and i'm just trying to tweak it and make it into a style that people say oh that's gray scott you know that right but i mean i you know the funny thing is i hear people you know it's very hard to evaluate your own work (laughs) right you know i mean it is it's it's very hard to be uh, objective and say, okay, what is this that I'm looking at? I mean, I, sometimes I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, I, I know what people see in this, but it's hard for me to see it because I was create, I was there and I was creating it. You know, the illusion gets lost on the artist sometimes. Sure, I know exactly what you're saying because I, I run through a lot of that myself. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, don't you look at your work sometimes and you're like, I mean, I'm just doing what I do. But other people see all these things that, uh, you know, I've sort of come to the conclusion at this point, and this is what I sort of will sum up what I've learned about creating something and putting it in the public's face. People see what they want to see, and people see what mirrors their own issues. Hmm. So if you, does that make sense? Yeah. So if people have negative self-views or if they have positive self-views, that's going to be completely apparent when they look at, at the pictures. I mean, I've gotten all sorts of comments. Most of them, thankfully, you know, 90% of them on my website, people, when they comment, it's been absolutely positive and everyone has been really great. So it's nice to sort of get that feedback and hear that. Uh, but people definitely have their own views of, of the work and of the style. I guess to summarize, like, if I have to say, well, what's my style? I mean, I definitely think that composition is something that you always see in my work. And that's something that's, that it's, I always try to find really interesting composition and very strong structural composition. You know, the arms are always sort of braced or uh, there's a position that's very either tragic or... Or, you know, and there's always a, I try to find a balance, whether she's centered or whether she's off in the corner and then there's a light spot in the, in the top. So there's, I'm just trying to find a very strong structural position in my work. And there's always, I try to always have some sort of storyline running through it, too. I think we definitely see that a lot in your work, and especially with the, um, you were mentioning, you know, starting off about the painting background of it and i see that a lot with uh, the sets and things like that that you've constructed they almost have a um yeah, like a fantasy or ethereal type uh feel to them kind of moving aside from the creative to the technical side of things since you've come to photography as i guess kind of like the non-traditional path to becoming a photographer how does that translate with the equipment that you, that you use i like for instance there's an image that i'm looking at here that i haven't been able to stop looking at it's a uh, <laughs> 
woman in a, a brown dress with beautiful red hair against a very grungy background, and there's the, the fluorescent fixture on the floor. So as I'm looking at this, I'm like, I'm wondering, since you have this, this different path that a lot of photographers haven't taken to, to, to reaching the level of where you are, is, do you find yourself using a lot of non-traditional equipment as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've used just uh, an exposed light bulb you know, right over the head, I've used, I mean, a lot of times I'll walk into, if, if it's a set or a, a location, I'll actually walk into a space and just look at the light itself that's there. And there have been several times where it's just a, an overhead fluorescent, and I'm like, let's just slow shutter speed this, and, and you know, it's beautiful. I mean, it's all about the the mood and the the sort of feeling you get when you walk into space. I mean... I know a lot of photographers that, you know, they'll go in a space, and, and, and this is when I was doing makeup, too. It used to frustrate me. I, I, you would walk into a space that was so beautiful, just the way it was, and they'll bring in this big octobank, and they'll blow the shit out of it, and you're like, <laughs> you're like oh, my God, you, you totally, like, raped this space. Like, it has no essence left. You just, like, gapped and banana republic this whole thing. And... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, you've taken all the, the spirit and soul out of this, this space, and that's why you're here. Otherwise, you could just be shooting on a white seamless. So, I think one of my last shoots. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I mean, it happens, and it's really easy to get wrapped up into, I mean, especially if you own your own equipment, it's like, I mean, I paid fifteen thousand dollars for that equipment. I want to use it. You know, it's like you, you get you get rolled into that. You're like, I got to use it. I got to use all this. And I mean, sometimes it's just like, just open the window. You know, that's all it needs. Just open the window. Sometimes it's, um, you know, for fluorescent. I mean, I've got this thing about fluorescent lights. I just think the the fall off is just so beautiful with fluorescent, and the the tone of it. There's just something about it that just feels so. It's like synthetic, you know. It has this like cold synthetic feel. So it's pretty interesting. I don't know. I I, I definitely have played around with like really uncommon sort of light sources, just to see what would happen. Sometimes and sometimes I'm like, wow, this is beautiful, and then I I actually take that and use it on my next couple of shoots. And you know, I always say that I'm going to end up inventing like some new cheap light bulb that you know wrap it up in something pretty and sell it at B&H that's cool um, so yeah I, I definitely think that I play around with you know uncommon sort of light sources I mean I, I of course have the, the traditional stuff as well I have the HMIs which I love I have the Profoto Flash all of that Kino all of that so there's a, there's a little bit of a mix there for sure so now I know you said that you're a big fan of the fluorescent bulbs do you tend to stick with with lights that tend to enhance the the smoothness of the the skin and texture of some of the models that you you've worked with because it seems like looking at your portfolio it, it seems like there's a um a, at least a style period that you're going through where there's like very almost like ultra perfect people mm-hmm. in term in terms of their complexion yeah i mean it de- it depends i mean what i what i sort of noticed is um and you know when you sit a uh, model down, a lot of times you, you know you're dealing with different skin colors, different skin textures every time. I mean, hopefully you're you're dealing with a girl that has really amazing skin, and nine times out of ten that is the case. 
but I the fluorescent does actually because the the thing is is when you're shooting with fluorescent you're not shooting you know uh, you know super fast shutter speed I mean uh, you know I'm down to like a fifteenth of a second wow. on some of these so just the most minute they can't even, you can't even control the bottle can't even control that kind of movement it's just it's just being you know sitting there naturally I mean there's going to be some soft touch to the skin so sometimes it, it is that and sometimes it's the combination of that plus having a really uh, amazing makeup artist that she'll completely he or she will completely cover the skin with foundation you know um, from head to toe wow. so you're looking at a model that's been completely body painted so that's part of it and then part of it is the retouching but I do feel like there have been comments about you know some of the pictures being sort of like mannequins and I I don't like that interpretation and one of the reasons is I've gotten several different versions of it some people feel like the body but because the body compositions are so strong and sometimes very awkward you know the arms are in really like striking sort of positions mm-hmm. that that has uh, the feeling of the mannequin or like the perfection of the skin or that sort of thing. And I really, I was talking to someone about this that was doing an interview before and I said, you know, it really has, it's really not mannequin. What, what I'm, a lot of the body compositions that you see in my work are actually based on uh, martial arts and dance. Okay. Which I don't think I don't think a lot of people even know because because I've studied dance and I've studied martial arts so I know like I know the body compositions of like how you stand if you're going to strike somebody like I have one of the Surface magazine uh, pictures that I did there's a guy and he's painted completely black and he's standing in a strike position but if you do, if you don't know that then you think oh well he's very stiff or he's this or it looks like a mannequin so it's actually a lot deeper than that it's just that I don't you know I don't always explain that to people even when I'm shooting I don't talk about it I just right. I just I know what the poses should be or what I want them to be and we just go into it so definitely as far as the lighting goes that can sort of add to it I mean if you take a girl out on the street and you're shooting a natural you know, side light, like if the sun's setting or, or whatever, there's always going to be that, like, texture on the skin. You know, side lighting, you know you're always going to get some texture on one side of the face. So, you know, you add your, your fill on that other, on the dark side, and it fills in, so you don't have that texture anymore. So it's just a matter of, it's a combination of makeup, retouching, and um, just being really careful with the light. Now, you will have to forgive my uh, ignorance of makeup, for this question, but maybe it's a simple answer. I'm not sure. Some of the images, it actually, there's actually a sheen. Is that just a type of foundation that, or is it an oil or something that would, on the on the legs or on the arms, that actually they have a shine almost? Yeah, it depends. Sometimes it's a shine powder. Sometimes it's an oil, depending on because they all act differently, of course. And you guys know this just from, I'm sure, just seeing people's shooting just like makeup on the face but you know sometimes you know you can use uh like sometimes i use hmi light well hmi is so has such a strong sharp crisp uh, effect that you know to use like straight oil on the skin unless the girl has amazing like unless she's 12 basically (laughs) (laughs) you know she's not had any any imperfections on her skin 
you know, it, it's it's going to be rough. I mean, you're going to have to deal with that in post because the light you see every single pore with the HMIs if you're if you're shooting, you know, at like 125. So sometimes I I don't always want it to be that crisp, you know, just for the fact that you know if you're dealing with a 24 year old model or if you're dealing with makeup that maybe that day wasn't so great or if you're dealing with you know there's all sorts of variables but um the sheen that you're talking about a lot of times that's just oil or it's like just a powder shine well as a follow-up then that that means that you would have had to thought through that combination do you usually determine your lighting from your model skin and the makeup or do you go the other way and say well this is what i'm going to light with today so this is the kind of makeup we need to do there are lots of different ways that I approach shoots. I don't have like one specific, this is how I do it every single time because every single shoot is different. I mean, there's different energy, there's different people, different clothes, everything. So nine times out of 10, if there's a set, that sort of dictates how it's going to go. Okay. So if I know that, if I know that I'm going to have a set built, then I sort of have thought about the lighting. But, you know, there are times when I build a set and I decide the day before, I'm like, hmm, I was going to light it with this, but I'm going to light it with this instead. So then when we get to the shoot, you know, I sort of tell the crew, I'm like, okay, it's slow shutter speed. You know, we're using really harsh lighting, so don't make them too oily. I sort of guide right. as much as I can. I mean, a really well-seasoned makeup artist, and that's what I try to use, they will know just by looking, uh, how it's going to react. They know if they're dealing with it. Just by looking at the set and looking at the lighting, you know, even before the model walks out there. But if they don't, you know, when the model mar- walks out there, they could say, oh, it, it's too shiny, you know, just by looking at it. So sometimes what you're seeing on these pictures, it's done so last second. Like sometimes <laughs> they walk out and they're completely dry looking and, and we, we're like, you know, the fabrication of the dresses. Like, I like to do contrast. Like, if, if the dress is very matte, and if you have, like, a really textured, you know, usually that's fall clothing. So if we're doing something for fall, and the pants or the dress is very textural, then it's nice sometimes to have, like, a sheen on the skin. It gives it sort of a contrast. I mean, that's not a steadfast rule. I mean, you know, I, sometimes I like a really completely matte face and a completely matte skin, so just depends you know sometimes it's just like i've shot three stories with shine i'm bored with that i'm ready to do something different and i want it completely matte so (laughs) sometimes it's just that immature like it's just like i'm bored (laughs) let's do something different so in your portfolio section you have a site of a few images where you had worked with an african-american model with some very dark clothing with white clothing accents as well on a white background Mm -hmm. I imagine yeah. a shot like that would be a nightmare to, to meter. Actually, not really because I had one, I had I was using HMI for that. So it was really what you see is what you get. You know, that's the great thing about HMI is like, you know, you press the shutter and you're not going to see anything different. I mean, it's exactly what you see. So really what I, what I do a lot of times is even if I have my assistant metering different things, sometimes I don't, I don't always completely go by that because I want to make sure that the the shot looks right for me and, and feels right. 
Now, you know, again, we're talking editorial, and I have different. I have a different set of rules for editorial than I do for commercial work. And you know, a fashion campaign can be considered commercial work. I mean, because really, editorial. I mean, I could go in and not look at my settings and just shoot and be like, oh, that's cool. It's weird. It's you know, underlit or it's overlit right. or. You know, it's really an interpretation of however you feel. You know, as a photographer, you can do whatever you want for editorial to a certain degree. Uh, well, I mean, you know, again, you have to be very specific. If it's for American Vogue, you're not going to do what you're going to do for, like, pop magazine out of, you know, Europe. I mean, there's a difference. But a lot of times, even if I'm having the, the assistant meter or something, I still will take a couple of shots because I shoot digital, and I'll be like, okay, this can be a little bit, darker or I want a little bit more shadow here I want the shadows to go completely black or I want the shadows to sort of like in this in the shots you're talking about the um, the shadows aren't they're not jet black they have they still have some bounce to them so uh, what it really wasn't I mean I've heard people say that before and I was I was a little freaked out <laughs> I was a little freaked out by <laughs> that white dress because it's it's stark white and I'm sure if you know the, for the people out there that are like total technical freaks that like have to have your whites at like 24 or right. 56 or whatever they, they've set their ideal parameters to I'm sure that if you went across my image you'd see like in the pocket corner there's like no information there but it's like mm, it's not I mean it's not an ad you know it's like right. and also too it's it's the, the what I wanted from that story was like ultimate contrast and I mean that for the presentation of her because she's she's very sort of the the outfits are very lady and sort of like proper and yet she's has this huge afro you know what I'm saying so it's like this it's almost like this contradiction in in the way she's dressed and the way she pre presents herself and there's some of them that are sort of militant in a way too so I I'm not only dealing with the contrast of the light, it's the contrast of the idea. So part of me wanted to have it like the blacks be really saturated and the whites go really white. So, But I, I've, listen, I've had other times commercially where it's like you have a, a brown suit on a black woman with a white blouse. Now, I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> that now we're talking, okay... You know, get the four assistants to like, you know, <laughs> stand with like different degrees of filters, and yeah, yeah, oh, we won't awesome. talk about that. But <laughs> and and it's it's different too in the mindset. Like you you were talking about for editorial, you can there's some freedom there. But uh, would you agree that with commercial work, you you really need to, you know, like your objective is to show a certain material or or a, a product or a clothing item. So you need to be more focused on that than really the artistic part of it, usually, right? Uh, it depends. I mean, each each client has a different idea of what they want from me. I mean, some clients really want a more creative approach, and they don't really have to see, you know, uh, the stitching in the jacket. I mean, okay. some clients are like, we really want to see every single stitch. We don't care if it's creative. Like, just shoot it straightforward. So it's a little bit different each time, and so I, I sort of approach each client, keeping that in mind what their needs are, because you know, I mean, that's what that's what we're getting hired for. So I mean, if it's a job, so editorially, I mean, it's really up to me. I mean, that's that's the great thing about editorials. Like, I don't have anyone standing over my shoulder saying, "Oh, it has to be this way." 
or the belt buckle's crooked or <laughs> yeah and hopefully you know eventually down the line when you create enough of that and it gets out there then people say wow i really like what he did here let's hire him to do something that's very similar for our campaign and uh, i've had that experience several times so um that's always like the best feeling ever is when right. you when you when you're the creator of something and then a campaign or a company says we love this let's do this let's recreate that uh, we don't care if the whites are blown out or we don't care if the you know what i mean yeah they like they came to you because of the images that you, they they liked that you created yeah exactly so they wanted that yeah that is cool can we talk about keller for just a minute um uh, in your portfolio, there is some black and white work, so it, it's apparent that you enjoy dabbling in that. But also, even in your color images, uh, oftentimes, again, just looking at your portfolio, it, there's a real sort of a muted sense. I, the, what you do with your tones is kind of um, unique and interesting. I, I thought our listeners might want to hear how you think of color. I think a lot of times, if I've decided, like I said, Nine times out of ten, I, I almost completely visualize the shoot before it's done. I mean, especially if I have the details. Like the stylist will send me, you know, the the she'll send me the list of clothes. Like she'll send me pictures of the clothes, so I can say, oh wow, we're dealing with this. So at least I have that, and then I'll know what the set's going to be, and then I, I I've cast the model. So I and, and I've worked with the makeup artist before, so I sort of know. I have a vague idea of how it's going to sort of unfold. So when I sit down on set, because I do a lot of my own retouching, I sort of know what my parameters are. So I can sit down and let's say we're doing, you know, super bright dresses or super bright colors for a, sh for a shoot. If that's the intention, then I know that if I use HMI, it's going to make everything like super stark and super bright. And I also know that when I get that back home and start playing around with, with it in, in Photoshop that, you know, I can either bump up the saturation uh, in one specific color range. Like, for example, there's a shot, uh, it's a beauty shot of two girls, their heads are together. And uh, one of them has a, a red wig on, the other one has like a black wig on. And the lips on uh, the redhead... They were red, but I wanted them to have like uh, um, sort of like a cherry, like a cher like almost like a candy apple, you know, mm -hmm. that you get from a fair. I just remember growing up having those candy apples, and that's sort of what I wanted her lips to look like. Because the the story, now, I have to sort of say this too, because this is super important to how I approach my work. Every every aspect of the shoots that I do editorially, there's all, like what I was saying earlier about having a storyline. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the the storyline itself will actually give me the specific ideas for color tones or body compositions. This the beauty story, the first beauty story that's on my website right now in the beauty section. There's one, two, three. There's like there's eight images. If you go down to shot three, it's a double page. That whole story, uh, I was I was sort of calling that. I kept saying on set, I was like, because this was one time when I didn't really have a, a direct name for the story yet. I was like, I kind of have a vague idea of what it is, but I did, I couldn't put my finger on it. And finally, once I saw the clothes and we were standing there and I saw the girls and everything sort of started coming together, I thought, you know what it is? It's it's Amish prostitute. 
<laughs> I know that sounds so strange, but <laughs> it's, I just kept thinking, I'm like, what is this? What, who are these girls? These, like, wigged, you know, they're wearing wigs. It's obvious they're wearing wigs. Uh, you know, because we pulled it back so you could kind of see the hairline. And it was like, they're really made up, but there's something about them that just looks so wholesome. And then some of the shots, we use, like, materials and, and fabrication that was very wholesome and sort of proper and everything has got the high neck and one shot she's holding a bible and so you kind of got this idea from that i kept thinking what is it like i kept digging in my background going what is what feels wholesome to me and i just remember candy apples being so wholesome to me like going to the fair in the summertime you know or the springtime and crunching into that candy apple and I thought that's what it has to be it has to be that color hmm. so when I took it home I was like you know she's got this like almost synthetic orangey sort of hair almost like you would see like you know a bad hair dye or something like verges on that and I thought you know this this lip has to be that like candy apple red so I went into the reds you know, in the channel mixers and played around with that. And then I went into selective color and I only picked the red and I bumped that up. And then I isolated the lips and changed that just slightly. I mean, you know, I play with it until I feel like it feels right. I mean, I try not to change the makeup colors too much. And what you see, you know this as well as I do. I mean, it's very difficult to get exactly what you saw on set in right. in your on your computer it's it's very very rare that it's exactly because there's just too many color variations so a lot of times i will isolate a color and just you know tweak it until i feel like it's right okay and do, so do you usually end up processing your own images then nine times out of ten unless it's commercial piece or unless it's a cover the the covers i started to hand off my, I have a retoucher now that I that I work with, and I hand the, I usually hand off the the covers to him and let him retouch it because I just uh, those need to be those need to have like a perfection and a you know there's just a, a certain style that the covers need to be. Right. Um, but editorially, because nine times out of ten you're not getting paid anything for the editorials, uh, you can't really afford to you know you would go broke as a photographer if you <laughs> had someone retouch every single. I mean, you can, and eventually I will, but uh, starting out as a photographer, you really, you have to know some Photoshop. You right. have to have those skills. Well, I'd say you, you're very good at it. <laughs> a combination of your... <laughs> Thank you. The photography in the first place, and then just the, uh, you know, the images are just unbelievable. Well, part of it, too, is that there's an aspect of painting, and I actually do... I mean, these images, you know, if you saw them originally, I mean, they're, they're, they're beautiful without retouching, but I've done things on top of the images with retouching that take it to the next level, whether it's highlighting, you know, in black and white, it's like taking up the, the blonde hair, it's taking them up, you know, burning and dodging. And, you know, I, I'm really painting on top of these. So I still get to paint, actually, which is a lot of fun. You still get to use your painting experience. Exactly. <laughs> That's cool. So before we wrap up here, because we've been, I think we've been talking for about an hour now, while we've been on your website, one thing I would like to point out is a lot of people have uh, have asked me over time, you know, what you know, what do I do for my website or how do I maintain it? 
I know that you are using LiveBooks for yours, and it looks like you're one of the featured professional clients that LiveBooks um, offers. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, why you chose to go with that and, and what it offers you as a photographer and how it works for your website and, and why you chose it? Well, when I first decided to put up a website, I, I was looking around to see, like, you know, how much it was, how much it would cost, and and to build a website, and I had I had a specific design idea in mind, and how much it was, how much it would cost to like update the images, and because I had an agent before as a makeup artist, I knew what it cost to sort of update websites, and it was not, it you know, it's not, not cheap. So, and I know as a photographer, you know, you're constantly updating images. So when I found LiveBooks um, and spoke to them, they walked me through the whole process and they gave me a tour of how it works. And they just convinced me uh, easily, really, that uploading these images and, and being able to change them in like five seconds was so easy that, I, I mean, how could I resist? I mean, you, you pay a one-time licensing fee basically is what it is and uh, you know you have your domain name and that's it i mean i think i think i originally I, i'm not going to quote a price exactly but i i paid whatever the original price was and uh you know there's a maintenance fee and if you uh, of course if you add things to it, it it adds up but just the ease of being able to design and move things around it just adds that extra level of enjoyment as a photographer i mean you know, how many times have we shot for magazines and it's like, oh, you know, you, the, the, whoever laid this out, like put the image that you shot at the end of the day that you thought was going to be your last shot or, <laughs> or the shot that, you know, it gets moved around. So like your last shot, your least favorite is the first shot in the magazine or, or this or this or this. And you're like, it just brings back some control to how you wanted it to be presented. So it's almost like having an online gallery, really, right. so that you can say, okay, well, this is how I saw it. This is how I really wanted it to be. So it's super easy. You drag and drop. Images are there. Clients can see them. Hopefully jobs come. Yeah. Great. Well, you're, um, you, you definitely have a portfolio that's absolutely a place that there's some amazing photography and now we got to know a little bit about the man behind the images, and we wanted to thank you for coming on the show, and um, it's been a real pleasure talking with you and learning about your photography. So thank you very much. Well, thank you guys so much. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the Internet. Be sure to check out the show notes at studiolighting.net for the things that we talked about on today's show. And there you can also find links about our photography and keep up with the stuff that we've been shooting. And don't forget you can send us feedback or questions about the show to studiolighting at gmail.com. And we'll try to answer those questions on the show or in the lighting questions section on studiolighting.net. You can also get feedback on your photography in our Flickr group, which is at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source. Till next time. Take care. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com.
photocastnetwork.com.